I wanted to mention, I feel like this has been announcement Sunday, <laughs> but there's just so many things. I want you to remember our teenagers. They are heading out today to the Gulf, Co- Co- Gulf Coast region to work with Hurricane Harvey Relief on a mission trip. And so remember them. And also we have a lot of our young children heading to camp um, today or this week for Deer Run. And so um, remember them in your prayers this week that God will richly bless them um, as they grow. And so today we begin a new series looking at the life of a man named Joseph. And if you're new to this Bible thing, um, Joseph is not Mary and Joseph, Joseph from the New Testament, but Joseph is an Old Testament figure um, way, 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 way back. And maybe you've heard about a guy named Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Well, Joseph was the son of of a guy named Jacob, who actually became Israel, the father of this nation. And so Joseph's life was really written by a series of dreams. These dreams that that he had that told about what was to come. When I was in high school, I had a coach named Coach Emery. And every day we would walk into the field filled house, and he would say, hey guys, how are you doing? And I'd say, hey coach, how are you? And he'd always say, oh, living the dream. And you hear people say that on occasion, I'm just, I'm living the dream. And you have no idea what dream that might be. It might be the American dream of coming to this country and making it um, big and having a lot of money and having a nice house or having a large family. It might be someone else's dream for your life what your parents wanted for you or want for you or they see in you. Maybe it's God's dream. Because here in Joseph's life, Joseph's life was defined by these series of dreams that it seems like God had given him. And so I want to spend the next several weeks looking at this story and talking about how God works in the life of Joseph. These dreams seem to bring up a couple of questions that we're going to wrestle with through this series. Specifically about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. You know, we always say that God is big and that he can do anything, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is sovereign and overall creation. We also say that God provides for his people. He takes care of us and he gives what we need. And the question then becomes, well, if God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful, he's over all and in all and can do anything at any time, and God provides for his people, then there are going to be some questions that come up when we look at the life of Joseph and some of the things that he encountered. And I want to just tell you, this morning, my goal is simply to tell you the story of Joseph and to leave you with a couple of really, really, really important questions that we're going to spend the rest of this series looking at. And because knowing it's the summer and you're going to be here for a week and then be out on vacation for another week, I want to tell you the story so that at any point you just pop back in, you know exactly where we are in the story and everything that we're doing that morning makes sense. And so in this story, we're going to deal with this one 
question through this series. How would someone in my situation respond if they completely trusted God? How would someone in my situation, how would someone in my marriage, how would someone with my children, how would someone with my job, with my debt, with my circumstances, how would they respond if they completely trusted God? And so the story begins with Joseph at the age of 17. I'm going to spend some time reading part of the story and just telling you part of the story. And so we're going to begin in Genesis 37, starting in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives. He brought their father a bad report about them. And now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he has been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so Joseph is dad's favorite. And he's given this incredible gift, but he also has the tendency to come and tattle. He brings a bad report, and so the kids, the other brothers, don't like him a whole lot. And not only does he bring bad reports, the father, Jacob, loves him more than the other sons and kind of gives him special treatment. And so they're out working, and Joseph's hanging out in the house, taking it easy. And so Joseph has this dream. He has this dream, and he goes to his brothers, and he says, Hey, listen, I had this dream. And these sheaves of grain, one of them rose up and stood up before all the other sheaves, your sheaves, and all your sheaves bowed down to me. And his brothers said, You think we're going to bow down to you? And the animosity continues to build. And he has another dream. And he goes and he says, hey, the sun and the moon and these 11 stars, they bowed down to me. And he goes and he tells his brothers about this dream. And then he goes and tells his father. He says, dad, check out this dream I had. The sun, the moon, these 11 stars, they bowed. His father, think I'm, I'm going to bow down to you? But his father has a favorite, and it's Joseph. And it seems like he kind of overlooks the dream, but his brothers don't. And so they're out working in the fields, tending the flocks. And Jacob comes to Joseph, and he says, Hey, Joseph, I know you can go and tell me what your brothers are doing and how they're doing, and I want you to go to Shechem. I want you to check on them and see how they're doing, and then come back and tell me about it. So Jacob heads to Shechem, and he gets there, and he can't find his brothers. He encounters a man. He said, Oh, they've gone a little further on to a place called Dothan. 
So Joseph goes and he finds his brothers. And while he's still a ways off, his brothers see him coming. And they start to make a plot, a plan. Hey, you see Joseph, he's coming to us. He's going to go back and report to dad. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. And so Joseph walks up, and his brother Reuben devises a plan to save him. And he throws him in a cistern. Verse 24, it says, And they took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water. As they sat down to eat their meal. Let's just get rid of Joe. Let's throw him in a cistern. As we sit down to eat our meal. It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. Let's pass out the sandwiches. Let's sit down. Hey, guys. Did you hear something? No, no, just eat. It's okay. Hey, guys, let me out. Guys, guys. Did y'all hear something? No, no, no. It's, it's nothing. Just eat. As they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. The camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah stood, said to his brothers, What will we gain? What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. Here's the compassionate part. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So they work out this lunchtime deal. And they sell him to this caravan who's taking him off to Egypt. And he arrives in Egypt and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is the captain of the Egyptian guard, the guard for Pharaoh, one of the most prominent people in Egypt. And Joseph finds himself as a slave to Potiphar. Now I want you to listen to what happens and how it's described. The Lord, as he sold to Potiphar, verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. And just listen to that phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Lord was with Joseph? Joseph was just sold into slavery. Joseph was just taken out of his home and out of his father's house. And his father thinks he's dead because his brothers went back and they said, Hey, we found this robe. Do you think it's Joseph's? Yes. And Jacob begins to mourn. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
And then, as he lives in the house, he continues to prosper. And Potiphar begins to give him more and more and more responsibility. And he gets to the point where he's put everything in his house in the care of Joseph. But Joseph has a problem. And her name is Mrs. Potiphar. And she comes to him and says, hey, Joseph, you're so fine You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Joseph. (laughs) Not written in 1982. (laughs) Hey, Joseph, come to bed with me. And Joseph says, no, 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 I can't. God has put me in this place, and Potiphar has trusted everything to me. I cannot do this to him. I cannot sin. But she's persistent. And one day, when there's no one in the house, she comes to him and grabs him by the cloak and says, come to bed with me. And Joseph leaves his cloak in her hands and runs. And she's left with the cloak. And she goes and tells the servants, hey, Joseph, the guy my husband trusts, He tried to rape me. He tried to take advantage of me. And here's his cloak. And she goes and tells her husband. And Potiphar becomes so angry at the man he entrusted everything he has to. In verse 19, when his master heard the story his wife told, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. While Joseph was in prison, The Lord was with him. At some point, do you think Joseph starts to ask the question, God, could you go be with someone else for a little while? God, I know you're in this. I know you got a plan. I know you've got it figured out. But I was taken out of my father's home. I was taken away from my family. I was sold by my brothers into slavery. Then I find myself in a place where I'm starting to see how this whole thing is working out and how your hands are involved in it and how you're leading me to bigger and better things and how everything's going to work out. And then I do the right thing and I get in trouble for it. I do exactly what I am supposed to do because I trust you. And then I find myself in prison. The Lord is with me. The the Lord is in this. Did, Did God cause this to happen? Did God cause his brothers to sell him? 
Did, did God cause the deal with Potiphar's wife so that he ends up in prison? The Lord is with Joseph. And he starts to prosper. And he finds himself in prison where the prison warden starts putting him in charge of stuff and giving him more responsibility. And then a couple of new prisoners show up. They're from Pharaoh's house. One is the cupbearer and one is the baker. And they have this dream. And the next morning at breakfast, Joseph can see that there's something wrong and they're kind of concerned. And he says, hey, what's going on? What's, what's, what's wrong? He said, well, we had these dreams. And Joseph said, well, I'm, I'm pretty good with dreams. I, tell me what they, they are and I might be able to tell you what they mean. And the cupbearer says, well, there was this vine and these three branches, and there were grapes growing out of it, and I started squeezing them and pouring them into Pharaoh's cup, and I handed Pharaoh this cup. And Joseph says, well, here's what that means. In three days, Pharaoh's going to put you back in his palace, and you're going to be his cupbearer once again. He says, he's going to lift up your head. And the baker says, well, this, this is great. So here's my dream. These three baskets of bread, and these birds started coming and eating out of it. And Joseph says, okay, well, here's, here's what that means. Three days, Pharaoh's going to cut off your head. What? I don't like that as much. And Joseph looks at the cupbearer and says, hey, when this happens, remember me. When you get to Pharaoh's house, when you're sitting there serving him, you know, Pharaoh, when I was in prison, I heard this pretty interesting guy talk. He told me about this dream, and his name's Joseph. I think he'd be great in your palace. I mean, this is the opportunity that Joseph needs, and he starts to see, well, this is how it's going to work out now. It's going to be okay. It's just going to be a few more days, and I'm going to be out of here. The cupbearer is going to get in with Pharaoh. He's going to get me out of prison. God, I see what you're doing. I know. But when the cupbearer gets restored, he forgets Joseph. He he forgets this guy that told him what was going to happen. He forgets Joseph. And I'm sure Joseph's sitting in prison like, you know, any day now. Just, I'll keep the phone on. Anytime you want to call, I'm, I'm here. And nothing. Until Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has this dream. And in his dreams, there's these cows that come out of this river. And some are, the first seven are really fat and, and, and well built. And then there's these other seven that come out and they're, they're withering away, and they eat up the healthy cows. And then there's this healthy grain that comes up, seven stalks, and then there's seven unhealthy that's scorched and beaten by the east wind. And they devour the other seven. And he says, Pharaoh, here, here's your dream. Because Joseph was finally remembered. Because everyone else in Egypt wasn't able to tell Pharaoh what this dream meant. And the cupbearer is sitting here listening to this, and he goes, hey, there was a guy in prison named Joseph. 
and he told me about my dreams, and it all came true. And so Pharaoh sends for him. And he gets to Pharaoh, and he starts telling, Pharaoh starts to tell Joseph his dreams. He says, well, here's what it's going to mean. In seven years, the next seven years, there's going to be abundance. You're going to farm, there's going to be great food, there's going to be plenty for everyone. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And in that seven years of really good times, if you'll take away and store some of it, then it'll provide enough during the years of famine. And Pharaoh starts looking around and says, well, who, who in Egypt? Let me see. Who in Egypt could do this? We got some wise men. We got some teachers. We got someone who's smart enough. <gasps> Joseph, you're perfect for the job. And he puts him in the second most powerful seat in Egypt. Now, here's the crazy thing. He puts him in that place, and he's 30 years old. Now, when this story started way, way back, being sold as a slave and finding himself in Potiphar's house, he was 17. And he's been sold as a slave, abandoned by his brothers, deserted from his father, finds himself as a slave to Potiphar, works his way up, does what's right, finds himself in prison. And then, after all these years, he finds himself as Pharaoh's right hand man. And so we, we see, well, yeah, the Lord's with Joseph, but the question is, well, if God provides, the, we talk about the providence of God, if God provides for his people, then why did Joseph go through all of that? Thirteen years Thirteen years before he finds himself in this position of prominence. I don't know about you, but I pray for something for three days and I start to get impatient. You know, I've been asking God and I, I want God to do this and I've been praying and I've been praying. And it's been a week. Thirteen years. Where it seems like God has abandoned Joseph. Thirteen years of questioning. But all this famine leads to something amazing, especially through the eyes of Joseph. Because after the years of plenty, there's this famine. And the people of Israel are starting to need food, and they get word that there's food in Egypt. And so Jacob sends ten of his twelve sons. One, Joseph, is dead in his eyes. Benjamin, his youngest, is now his prized possession. He sends his other ten sons to Egypt to get grain and to get food. And they go and they show up front of Joseph. It's been 
20 years since they turned their back on him. It's been 20 years since they abandoned him. It's been 20 years since they sold him. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine the amount of revenge you can plan over 20 years? Do you know how many sleepless nights you have as a slave imagining what will happen if you ever see them again? Can you imagine 20 years goes by sitting in prison cells thinking about, man, if they show up again, can you imagine? After 20 years, being number two in Egypt, and over everything, and all the power to get all the revenge that you could ever possibly want, and there they are right in front of you, bowing before you. Can you imagine what you might want to do. You see, we have a snapshot of Joseph's life. Joseph lives to be 110 years old, and we don't really see anything from his life till he's 17, and by the time it's 40, it seems like the author has hit the fast-forward button to go to his death. We get this small snapshot over about 10 or 11 chapters in Genesis of Joseph's life. And we have the luxury of looking back. We have the luxury of standing on the other side and saying, well, of course, here's how God has been at work. Of course, this is what God was doing all along. Of course, this is what God wanted to happen. In fact, Joseph even starts talking that way. Joseph starts telling people, God God meant for this to happen. He was providing for people. But I wonder if that first night in the slave caravan, if he's thinking, oh, God's in charge, it's okay. I wonder if when he's sold to Potiphar and he finds himself in Egypt, separated from his family, if he's, it's no big deal. This is fine. I wonder if he finds himself in prison thinking, that's all right, I know where God's going to end this whole ordeal. It's easy when we see the snapshot to say, well, of course this is what God's doing. But when you're in the middle of it, when you're in prison, when you're sold by your brothers, when your father thinks you're dead, are you sitting there thinking, oh, it's, it's okay? And the question I want you to ask is if you found yourself in Joseph's place, with his circumstances. How would you respond? 
If you found yourself in Joseph's place, with Joseph's circumstances, how would you respond? How would you respond when your brothers finally show back up on the scene? Say, hey, we're in, we're in need of food. Can you help us out? And when it happens, Joseph recognizes them, and they don't realize it's him. And he starts speaking harshly to them and saying, you guys are spies. And he takes their silver and he puts it back in their grain and he sends them back to their father to get the youngest brother, but he leaves one of his brothers with him, Simeon. He he leaves Simeon in jail in Egypt. And he sends the other brothers back to get Benji. Bring, bring him back. I want to meet him. And then when he finally comes back, Joseph's got his chance. He, he has his opportunity for revenge. And he takes Pharaoh's cup and he puts it in Benji's bag. And he sends him on the way. And then Joseph says, hey, go catch him. Go, go catch him and say to them, how could you respond to the good I've shown you with evil? And they bring him back. And he's standing before him. And Joseph has him right where he wants him. All right, the ten of you can go. Y'all can do whatever. He is going to be my slave. And Judah starts trying to to work a deal and say, no, keep me as a slave. It's going to kill my father if you take Benjamin. Send him back and keep me. And Joseph goes in the other room and he begins to weep. And he goes back into the room where his brothers are. And he tells all the officials and all the servants, he goes, get out. I want to be in here with these 11. And this is it. This is where he's got the chance to take revenge. This is the chance where no one else would know. This is the chance to do exactly what he's dreamed of for years and years and years and years. He says, I Joseph. Can you imagine the fear of the brothers realizing their brother is not dead? And in fact, he's the most powerful man behind Pharaoh in all Egypt. I want you to listen to what Joseph says. Verse 3 of chapter 45. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. 
And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me. Joseph, this was your chance. This is what you dreamed of. This is those conversations you had in your head when everyone else was asleep. If I ever see him again. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, it's easy to say that on the other side. It's easy to say that when we have the luxury of looking back. But my guess is in the prison cell, in the slave caravan, in those cold, dark, sleepless nights, your mind is not, oh, it's going to be okay because God's just sending me ahead. God's just providing for all these people, for generations to come. For generations to come, they're going to be okay because of what I have gone through right here. My guess is it's not quite so easy. And Jacob, he finds himself in the place where he forgives them. And he sends for his father. They move them to Goshen. They have everything they need. And then his father dies. His father dies and they go and bury him. And they come back and they come to Joseph and they say, all right, we're in a really bad situation here. Because dad's gone, and we think you're going to take your revenge on us. But God sent you a message from the grave through your father. Be nice to your brothers. Don't, Don't hold a grudge against what they did to you. It's all going to be okay. And here's what Joseph says. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before and said, We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish What is now being done? The saving of many lives. You see, you look at this story and you wonder, okay, where where is God's hand at work? Because we see it, on the other side as we look back. But what about in the middle of the story? Because when you talk about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, there's two sides of the the story. There's the side of free will and, well, people can make choices and do what they want. 
And so is God just completely hands off. And then there's the other side where, where God is over all and takes care of all. And it's almost like God is this cosmic chess player. Just moving the pieces exactly where he wants them to be. But yet neither of these seem to really fit well with the story. And so how does God step into the story where God who is love and does not do evil to people work this for the good of him? How does he work it for his kingdom when you have people with free will who can do as they choose? But yet somehow God gets Joseph to the exact place he needs him to be for his purpose. So, if you were in Joseph's shoes, if you had to deal with Joseph's circumstances, how would you respond? And I think the bigger question is how would someone in my situation, with my circumstances, with my family, with my job, with my responsibilities, with my debt, how would they act if they completely trusted God? David, the psalmist, in one of the most well-known psalms, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because I've got this all figured out. And I've got enough strength in my own hands that it's all okay. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because you are with me. And this story leaves room for a lot of questions. A lot of questions we're going to begin answering next week. Father, we do thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the way that you provide. Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. And Father, we do worship you. We bow before you as creator, as sustainer, as giver of life. And Father, we are grateful for all that you do. Father, most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who we're going to see so many different ways through this story. And Father, ultimately, see through the cross and the salvation and redemption of the world. And Father, we pray your blessing on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, we offer you that invitation now. We're going to um, invite you to come. Um, if we could just simply pray for you wherever you are. We're going to have ministry staff, shepherds around the auditorium. We're going to have some shepherds as well in the um, gathering. If, if they don't want to be heading there at this time, if everyone wants to stand, and shepherds and staff go ahead and be heading at this time. Is we, everyone can stand.
As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Let's trust in Jesus as we sing. Times I failed, still your mercy remains. And should 